You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. We have gathered. We have welcomed the Holy Spirit. We welcome all of you into this place that are physically here. We welcome all who are uh, virtually here. We're glad that you're here. Well, I hope you've had a wonderful holiday weekend as we celebrate the 4th of July. Now, I guess that it is permissible to set off fireworks inside the city limits. Um, Now, we're new to town. We've been here a year. Uh, No one warned us about the whole city blowing up on the 4th of July. We, last night, heard fireworks from the afternoon on. We up to the top of our roof, got to where we could just see all over everywhere and were jaw-droppingly spellbound as explosions were taking place everywhere. It was really something special. And I hope it was a good celebration for you so far. And in some ways, it feels like it continues on today. Well, we have some uh, kid questions today. Each week, we've been taken some videoed questions from some of our children who've asked us very good questions, and we've got two today. Let's watch one. What was the first animal on Earth? Oh, no, that's a good question. What was the first animal on the Earth? You know, sometimes we have to get very comfortable as adults with this answer. I don't know. There's no way for us to know what the first animal was. But if you look in the the opening chapters of Genesis, we learn that the first thing that shows up is living creatures in the sea, which makes sense. You know, the vast majority of the globe is covered with water, so something in the sea began things. Let's look at another one. Why do you have to listen to Jesus and God? All right, yet another deep question deep like the ocean, why do you have to listen to God? Well, you know what? You don't have to listen to God, right? I mean, you don't have to listen to God. God has given us the ability to not choose to follow or to listen to what he has to say. Now, since God created the world, since he gave life to the world, when we choose not to follow or choose not to listen, then we're kind of starting to put ourselves in the camp of death. So it's a really good idea to listen to and to follow the words of God, but we don't have to. Well, let's continue this morning in prayer. Father, we have gathered in this place. We have welcomed you into our hearts and into our presence. And I pray, Father, And together we pray that your word will come today, not just in words and syllables, but it will come in power, with full conviction, and with your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were able to go on a dream trip with anybody you wish, whether they're living or dead, who would you choose to take and where would you go? So it doesn't matter if they're alive or not. They could be someone who's gone on. Who would you pick and where would you go? 
That's the kind of question you've probably been asked before. It's a good history teacher kind of question to get you thinking about what might be uh, something uh, of, that you would want to experience. might get you thinking about what's valuable to you. So it might play some of your cards about what's valuable. I think if I were to go on such a trip, I, I, some of the first things that pop in my mind, my mom and I are kind of planning on going back to Connecticut at some point to chase down some of our ancestors, the Thomas Hooker story that I told you, uh, the father of Connecticut from a month or so ago, that would be fun. I think personally, I might love to resurrect Frederick Douglass, to be able to go back to the places where he was, to the places where he gave speeches, to let him tell me his story and show the sights. I think that would be something special. I don't know what you would pick. For me, we kind of got to experience this a few years ago. In 2018, we had the chance as a family to hit the road and go on an epic summer blast trip. We wanted to do a trip that would take us to Washington, D.C. But what happened was we were able to not only go to Washington, D.C., but by, by road, by traveling by van, we were able to go to Montgomery, Alabama, and go to Atlanta, Georgia, go to Charleston, and West Virginia, and go uh, up to Washington, D.C., and Boston, and Philadelphia, and Gettysburg. It was an exhausting trip, but it was fantastic. We were able to do this trip that was part family history, part American history, colonial history, by going to Williamsburg, part Civil War, part Revolutionary War, part civil rights. And I'll tell you, a trip like that makes you so thankful for where you get to live. So thankful for the country that you've been given. So thankful for the wisdom of those who set out a plan, a, a plan for freedom, a plan for ruling a group of people. And it just makes you thankful. Walking around those buildings of Washington, D.C. makes you just awe of all that is. Now, as you can imagine, a trip like that means that you take in the grandeur of it all, but you also see more honestly the shortcomings, the things that we've not done as well, especially as you look at how uh, civil rights has unfolded in our country. But it was such a great trip, an epic trip in every way that made me thankful and grateful for those who've given their lives, who've given their money as mothers and fathers of this great land. Today, today we begin at the end. We've been looking at this little letter of Paul's letter to, the first, uh, to Thessalonians called 1 Thessalonians. And today in that lesson, we get to the very end, the closing, the benediction. So let's read. And if you would, if you're able to, find your way to your feet and stand for the reading of God's Word from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 23. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Beloved, pray for us. 
Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I solemnly command you by the Lord that this letter be read to all of them. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and be with you all. The word of the Lord. Amen. You can find your seats. Well, this benediction is one that's familiar to you. I've been saying it over the last several weeks. It's caught your ear over these months as we've been looking at 1 Thessalonians. And beginning at the end today is smart. It's good in practice to look at the end, to have your eyes fixed on where you're going and what you want to be about. It's the right way to go. Now, some of these things, though, uh, that, that God offers through Paul is about making us holy, sanctifying us, making us blameless, and that it's God's work. And he lays out some kind of final instructions of pray for us and greet one another with a holy kiss. Now there's an interesting one. And be sure and read this letter to everyone. At this point in the letter, in that Thessalonican area, they would have in the service probably been moving straight into communion time. There was something of an order to this, where they would read from Scripture, and then read from the writings of the apostles, and then they would uh, confess to one another things that they'd done wrong. And one of the ways that they did this was with the kiss of peace, the holy handshake, this holy kiss that he talks about. Now, I don't know how we do this in COVID time. I haven't seen anybody giving any holy kisses. I don't think we could make that COVID safe during this time, which means that sometimes you have to pay attention to Scripture and make some careful choices, right? Well, there is an order, an ancient order. There's a document called the Didache, which simply means teaching. And it's a document that's dated from the first century, the late in the first century, to early second century. And it's attributed to the apostles as something of an order for how Christians are to organize themselves. And this earliest document was referred to a lot by church fathers, but no one had found it, no one had seen it. A couple hundred years ago, a copy of it showed up in a monastery. And so, for the last several hundred years, we've been looking at it. And the document really seems verifiable, that it really is old. And, and one of the things that it says is that you're to first confess your sins, and then you break bread and give thanks. There's an order to it. Following even Jesus' own commands of if you've got something against your brother and sister, to go and confess. Which makes sense, right? Go and make sure that you are right with your brothers and sisters, to be able to admit that you are wrong, to acknowledge and confess sin that's in your life, this is a good first step that gets us ready for the table. It also is uh, something that we extend to others as they come to us. We're able to offer forgiveness for the ways that they have harmed us and hurt us. This is a great symbol. It's a symbol that we are all children of God and that we can treat one another as children of God. There's no trying to think about your neighbor and how you might beat them or win over them or dominate them in some way. This Christian practice of confession, of extending the peace, the kiss of peace, 
helps us treat one another as human beings. And it's an important symbol. Well, that's some of the background of what might have happened. Today, I wanted to do something different. I didn't plan to tell, to, to discover this story that I'm going to share with you today. It's something that's unfolded over the last several weeks. As God has continued to work on my heart in 1 Thessalonians and change this and flex this uh, uh, series and the length that it's been. And so today I want to tell you a story about a Thessalonican man who's not mentioned in this letter. And you'll want to grab your Bibles. We'll be going to a lot of places in Scripture. And if you don't have yours or don't want to do a lot of flipping around, don't worry, I will lead us through. But here in this story of a man that's not mentioned, we're able to look and see some people that are mentioned that we know. Paul, we know him. He's the author. Silas and Timothy, yep, that's the missionary team. That's the ones that went there. We know who those folks are. And they show up a lot in the Acts of the Holy Spirit. That's what I like to call the book. The Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's, of course, the Holy Spirit working through the apostles. Some of you with really good memories will remember me telling you the story of Paul and Philippi before he gets to Thessalonica, where he is beaten and he is thrown in prison, in an innermost prison, and an earthquake hits the jail. Paul is later freed and sent on. The believers say, you just need to go. And he ends up in the town that he writes this letter to, Thessalonica. And things go well for about three weeks before they get stirred up there against Paul and they chase him out. In Acts chapter 17, verse 10, it talks about the believers ushering Paul on to Berea. And then down in verse uh, 14 and 15, he doesn't even last long in Berea. They, these unnamed believers, and I think my mystery man might be among them, who knows, in verses 14 and 15, escort Paul to Athens. Well, eventually Paul finds a home of sorts in Ephesus, and he's able to preach in the synagogue for about three months. Feels like a new record if you're reading Acts along. And he ends up staying in Ephesus for two years, something of a missionary hub, sending Timothy to Macedonia, sending out these different uh, leaders out to spread the good news from Ephesus. Well, things go well until he heals a girl that had been a benefactor to a bunch of silversmiths. And these silversmiths stir up the crowd to the point where they don't know what's going on. They don't know why they're stirred up. But they rush into the theater. And if you'll turn in your Bible to Acts uh, chapter 19, verse 29, we get the first mention of my mystery man. Acts 19, verse 29. The city was full, filled with confusion, and the people rushed together to the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's travel companions. So these two people are, are drug in, drug into the, to the court, into the temple. And just ahead of this, to let you know that tensions are probably pretty similar to today, a Jew steps forward to this loud crowd and they figure out that he's a Jew, and they begin shouting, chanting in unison, great is Artemis of Ephesus. This Artemis is the goddess of Ephesus. And they chant that in unison for two hours. 
finally, a clerk, who's not a believer, says, yes, yes, we understand. Artemis is great. We believe that. That much is true. So this is not a Christian. This is not a Jew. But this gathering is not legal. And these people are not blaspheming Artemis, and they haven't stolen any money from the temple. And if you have an accusation against them, then go ahead and bring it in the normal court. So here we have this almost legal precedence, which I wonder if it's not included in Acts to say, hey, these Christians are not a threat to society. They are okay. If you flip a few more pages in your Bible to chapter 20, verse 4, Paul leaves Ephesus on a ship. And do you know who's included in the ship log? Aristarchus, our mystery person. In fact, Aristarchus shows up in a lot of places just barely mentioned. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, in Philemon, verse 24, he is called this Jewish man who was of great encouragement to Paul, that he was a member of the circumcision and he traveled with Paul as a companion. He knew Luke, the doctor, probably even gave Luke the eyewitness account of what happened in Ephesus, and he was friends with another of my favorite minor characters, Epaphras, the man who wrestled in prayer for the Colossians. Well, the two descriptions that are given to my mystery man are travel companion and fellow prisoner. That travel companion that we just read in Acts chapter 19, that same word is only used one other time in the New Testament, and it shows up in 2 Corinthians 8. And it's there that Paul begins to describe one of the things that he's trying to do. He's trying to hold the church together. A church that's being led by apostles, a church that has Jews and non-Jews, Greek people who are very religious Greek-wise, and then those that have no, nothing to do with the Greek culture, even those that are trying to follow the various apostles. He is trying to hold them together. And what he decides to do is to collect up money for the poor in Jerusalem. And the Thessalonican church, they're some of his biggest supporters. In fact, they tapped on the shoulder Aristarchus, likely to be the one to go and take this contribution so that it wouldn't be Paul carrying it. There could be no question. And so if you look carefully, we're not going to do it today, but in 2 Corinthians verses 16 to 19, we get mentioned three people, Titus and then two people that don't have names that are from Thessalonica. And I think it is our mystery people, Gaius and Aristarchus. Now, at this point, you're probably wondering, okay, why? Why, why are we focused in on this strange man? Well, remember my question. I wanted to know who you might want to travel with, and where you might want to go. And I'm still thinking in my mind, you know, would I want to sit down and be able to spend time with John Adams, probably one of my favorite presidents, or with Bono, who's alive today, or maybe the Apostle Paul. And of course we all think Jesus, right? But Jesus is one we can even visit with now. So why is it, Brady, that you're trying to get us to think about these people? Who you travel with in life matters. The people that you choose to spend your time with matter. 
you can learn from them how to live your life. And Aristarchus got a crash course in living life and learning how to follow Jesus from the Apostle Paul. The stories that we learn about him are difficult. I didn't even go into Acts 27, where Aristarchus is mentioned again as getting on the boat with Paul, headed toward Rome. And they go to the island of Cyprus, and they hit all kinds of rough weather. It gets so bad that the sailors are throwing the tackle over, and they eat a last meal, and they throw the food over. And they're planning how they can kill the prisoners, including Paul and Aristarchus. Aristarchus had many near-death experiences with Paul, and he learned from him how to live his life with Paul, how to live his life following Jesus by being with Paul. And I have to wonder that whenever Paul says, respect your leaders, esteem them highly in love for the work that they're doing, if he's not thinking about someone like Aristarchus. You know, those are the kind of leaders that I want. Leaders that have been made holy, they've been sanctified by being involved, who've gone through the ringer with God. And that is very much what has happened with Aristarchus. You know, it's important to even to confess that we are not leaders as we need to be. I think someone like Aristarchus, who didn't have to go on these trips, shows us what it is to be a leader that's not pointing the finger or blaming one another like Adam and Eve did. Oh no, it was them. No, it was the snake. No, it was her. It was him. No, leaders that have been sanctified through the fires who are asking, what can I do? How can I serve? Each week when we come to the table, we come and we confess. We confess our sins. And this journey of holiness that we have with God is one that doesn't stop. Our lives are a gift given to us. And we have the opportunity to give our lives to others. To recognize the humanity that is in other people. And so I think I would really want to take Aristarchus. Because I think he's the kind of person who would be committed through thick and thin. I think he would be the kind of leader that we need today. Who would be open-hearted toward those who are sharing their struggles of what it's been like to be heirs of dark-skinned people, to have been enslaved here in America, here in Latin America, and in, in the colonies. I think he would be the kind of person that would be listening. He would not quickly dismiss the pleas, not quickly dismiss their cries. You know, I have to tell you, one of the things that I've not been able to get out of my mind all this last week is someone that I became exposed to many years ago in his autobiography. Frederick Douglass gave a speech on this day, 168 years ago, on July 5th. He, the former slave who taught himself how to read, was invited to speak to a group of abolitionists who were on his side. And he spoke a message that I really feel like all white Christians, all white people should go and find. So look for it. You can find the full manuscript. It's out there. It's public domain. What, what the July 4th means to a Negro. 
is how this, the, the sermon, it's not a sermon, but how this speech is articulated. And it's very long. And perhaps if some of you heard about this or seen word about this this week, there's been a YouTube video circulating of some of his uh, descendants who are young, who are reading pieces of this speech. And I would, include, I would encourage you to go and find this because it challenges me to see things in a way that I've not ever seen. Even in the middle of the night last night, things that I had not planned to share with you, like what I'm sharing with you right now, overcome me. And I've begun to realize that it, there is a great need for us to have a fiscal and a visual way to, to reach out to our brothers and sisters who are of different backgrounds and races, especially black Americans who are descendants to enslaved Africans. You know, when I, when I think about this, I just need to share with you that this is something that I feel, and it's something that I think that is important and valuable. There have been efforts in the past to try to reach out to African Americans. In fact, when the Civil War ended, General William T. Sherman gathered together a group of influential black leaders and said, what do we do? How do we put things back together? And a stately 67-year-old black man who was over six feet tall said, we want to be out from under the domination of whites. We want to be educated. We want to learn. We want to be able to earn a living, to have some land. And so General William Sherman issued Special Order 15 that allowed for the redistribution of Confederate lands to go to slaves, 40 acres to former slaves. And that was moving forward until just four months later, on April 15, 1865, our president, Abraham Lincoln, went into a theater and was shot and killed. His vice president took over, that was Andrew Johnson. And Andrew Johnson was from the South, and Andrew Johnson did away with that special order and said, no, we're not going to be doing that. And things took a very different turn. Just because we've tried in the past doesn't mean we shouldn't think about what this looks like now. There are a lot of smart people. I can't come up with what this would look like from a fiscal standpoint, but it should be done to show love to our brothers and sisters. In fact, I'll share with you an idea that I have that's probably come to me whenever my family was walking the streets of Washington, D.C. And it's kind of a crazy idea. It's my idea. But as we walked the streets of this glorious city that was created from the ground up, it's full of white buildings everywhere. White buildings perfectly laid out. It's captivating. And they're, they're brilliant. These buildings were built by free African-American slave labor. The foundation of these buildings, the columns, the structures, all of them were built at the expense of slaves. And that's something of our past that we can't run away from. So here's my crazy idea. I wonder if we shouldn't paint the columns black on the Capitol building, on the White House, the front and the back, the Supreme Court, all of the buildings 
Paint them black. And I'm not saying by protesters. And I'm not saying by force. I'm saying with intention that this is something that we as a group of people want to do. Because it would show that this country was built together by all of us. And it would represent the, the contributions of others. Now you might think about the picture of that, and it might almost look like a prison, right? Suddenly to have uh, black columns. And that might be true. But it would remind us of our history. It would remind us how we're still today beholding to the prison of slavery. But I would point out quickly that there are no crossbars. We wouldn't put up crossbars on the columns because we live in a free country. People can come and go between these columns. A reminder that even though that's our past, we're no longer living in this prison. We're choosing to do something new. We can walk through. In many ways, this would be our confession. Our confession and our owning of our past and our acknowledgement of where we've come from, but also looking forward to the future. What's really important is who we journey through life with. And we have to do this together. We need help in following Jesus. We need one another. We need the wisdom and the insight of so many different perspectives of not just black Americans, but all shades in between. We have influenced Native Americans and all kinds of Native peoples. And it's important for us to learn from them how we might better follow Jesus as a part of our witness to Jesus. It's also important, I think, to know what our end is, what our aim is, where we're going. Paul told us that in the very beginning of this benediction. Right? Verse... 23, may the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely. Our aim, our intention, is to become holy like God is holy. To be set apart for God's purposes. We can choose not to listen. But, we can choose to listen and we can choose to act. Because this is not just our work, it's God's work to make us entirely holy. We surrender ourselves to it, but it is God is the one who does it. And for now, I think we can pay attention to what Paul says. Pray for your leaders. Greet one another with a holy kiss, whatever that might look like. In fact, we probably should practice. Can you, can you try this with me? Look, look around. We're going to offer the holy kiss to one another. We'll just go like this. So, so catch eyes with someone. Maybe if it's in your household, it's probably likely you need to give them the kiss of peace. So just give them the kiss of peace. We are acknowledging that we have much to learn, that we are in need of God's forgiveness, and that this is God's work within us. And we can keep reading these words. I guess the question that's left for us is are we going to be a minor character in this story? Aristarchus, what hit me in the middle of the night and what got me up and shakes me to my core is this man Aristarchus. I don't know why I would not paid attention to who he was. Even as I've been thinking about him for the last several months, 
this man made a choice to go with Paul. To be a fellow captive and to be a fellow prisoner, even though he didn't have to. That kind of model of leadership, of going and being with, is what we need right now. Early this morning, I got up and I searched. I couldn't believe that I hadn't paid attention to the actual meaning of Aristarchus' name. And Aristarchus' name made me break down crying. Not something that I'd paid attention to before, but I'll tell it to you what his name means. Aristos, best. Arcos, master. The best master. He could have been his own kind of master. He didn't have to follow Paul around. He didn't have to follow Jesus. But he chose to be in the prison. To be in the place of service. To be living with an eye toward the other. Last night when we were watching the fireworks go all over town, it was good to see people celebrate. There's much to celebrate about this country. There's much that is good. And it's okay to own those things that need improvement. It's no, it's no mark of failure to say we need to improve. Donna looked at me as we saw all those fireworks go and she said, well, I wonder how much money has been spent on those fireworks or what we could do with that, with Abilene education. You know, what could we do for our children? You know, it's always about the money, right? It comes back to that. How will we spend our money? How will we honor others? Will we be a major character with a minor name? Let's pray. God, you are a good God. We're undeserving of your mercy. We're undeserving of your love. And we're so thankful for all that you've given us. Would you help us to have hearts that are open to serving others? Would you help us to in some way model the faithfulness of Aristarchus? To be willing to go to points unknown. To be near death in defense of the Gospel. Would you help us to be the kind of people that listen and are open to our brothers and sisters of all ages and nationalities and backgrounds so that we can truly follow our real master, our best master, which is you, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.